Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We've been in Acts chapter 2 now. This will be the third week. Uh, It's an incredible passage of Scripture. And today we're going to close out Acts chapter 2. And I'll tell you, in in Acts chapter 2, what we see is we see the church being born. We see God saving souls and bringing souls together as one in the Spirit. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 41, Peter participated in what I like to call some good old Pentecost preaching. Uh, Peter, he preached the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when he did that, the Bible says after he preached that message, listen to what it says. It says in Acts 2.37, when the people heard this, when they heard that message, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, it says they were cut to the heart. In other words, the Spirit of God worked inside of them. said they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? In other words, the Spirit stirred them in such a way that they could no longer sit in place. They had to move forward. They had to move forward in a relationship with God. And they said, what shall we do? And this is what Peter said in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us that that day 3,000, 3,000 accepted the message and were baptized. And so this is incredible. In Acts chapter 2, you're not going to see the word as we know it, church. You're not going to see that word. But don't miss it. This is church. This is church. This is God saving lost souls and bringing them together as one so that they can participate in kingdom ministry, so that they can move forward in their community and make a difference for God's kingdom. Now, we know this, uh, this move of the Holy Spirit, it's powerful. It's been powerful in the apostles' lives, and now it will be powerful in the church's life. And so we're going to see a very important word right here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And before we get there, I just want to go ahead and tell you that word is devoted. How many of you have been devoted before to something or to someone? Maybe you still are. Uh Uh-oh. Husbands, you're going to get in trouble if your wife looks around and sees you not raising your hand. I'm going to tell you, hey, I'm devoted to my wife, right? I'm devoted to my kids. I'll tell you something else. I'm devoted to this church. I love this church. I'm devoted to this community. I love this community. We, we are devoted to a lot of things, aren't we? Think about it. All the things that we are devoted to. Well, I want to ask you a question. What does that word mean? What does the word devoted mean? When you say you are devoted to something or to someone or to some things, what do you mean by that? What does it mean to be devoted? Well, I'm going to throw two words at you. Devoted means to be characterized by loyalty. We are loyal to someone or to something in our lives. Not only that, it means to give steadfast, steadfast attention to. In other words, it is ongoing, it is consistent, and it is given to the end. And so devotion, it means loyalty, it means steadfastness. And so when we are devoted to someone, 
When we are devoted to something, it means we give our loyalty to that person or to that thing. It means we give steadfast attention to that person or to that thing. And we're going to see it right here in Acts chapter 2, that word devoted, right? It's not just a decision. Think about this. I'm devoted to my wife in mind, but if that's it, I won't do anything for her, right? That word devoted, as we see it in Acts chapter 2 today, it's not just a decision that you make in your mind. It is an action, right? It is an action. It's something that you live out loud. And so when you're devoted to someone, when you're devoted to something, it means it costs you, right? It costs you. You have to give time and attention to it. You have to give yourself to it. And so we're going to see that today. The power of God, the Holy Spirit is stirring and moving. He is saving lost souls and bringing them together. And watch what happens, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We're going to look at this one verse right now, okay? Because this one verse makes all the difference. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves. In other words, they were loyal and steadfast to what? Well, we see four things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. What an awesome verse in the Bible. They, in this passage, are the ones who repented of their sin and believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They are the ones. When it says they devoted themselves, they are the ones who were baptized by the Holy Spirit of God. They were sealed. They were marked as children of God, and nothing and no one will ever change that. They were sealed by the Holy Spirit of God, baptized by the Holy Spirit of God. We also believe, I know theologians believe, and I agree, I believe they were baptized in water that day. That's a lot of baptisms, isn't it? Especially if you think, hey, there were, you know, these apostles, only 11 or 12 of them. That's a lot of baptisms. I imagine some arms got tired that day, right? But that's an awesome thing. God was doing an awesome work. And in response, right, in response to that awesome move of God and the Holy Spirit, it says they responded because they devoted themselves. First of all, they were devoted to the gospel. When it says the apostles' teaching, who were the apostles' teaching? They were teaching Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God become flesh. They were teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, His perfect life, His sacrificial death, and His resurrection. They taught the person of Jesus. They taught the works of Jesus. And the Bible says right here that they devoted themselves to the Word, to the gospel. That means they were loyal to it. That means they were steadfast. What does that mean? Not just reading it once a week, but reading it daily, investing in it daily, letting the Word of Christ dwell in them richly. I think Paul says that in Colossians chapter 3, right? They were devoted to the gospel. Not only that, it says they were devoted to fellowship. Fellowship. The Greek word for fellowship is the word koinonia, And koinonia means to hold things together. Think about that for a minute. They were devoted to fellowship, holding things together. I love that. It was a word used to denote partnership, teamwork. So within the context of fellowship, 
these believers on this day, they were actually fulfilling the words that Jesus gave his disciples in John 13. What did Jesus say to his disciples? Listen to this, John 13, 34 and 35. A new command I give you today, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, in fellowship, we encourage one another towards righteousness, towards obedience, and towards love, the love of God. We partner in that love. We share that love. And so on this day, these apostles and these new believers, this church, right, They were actually fulfilling the words that Jesus spoke days before, weeks before, to his disciples. So they were devoted to the gospel. They were devoted to fellowship. The Bible says they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, I understand we like to eat. And I understand you look at that and go, see, the Bible says we need to eat a lot together all the time. But understand, in the context of what Peter has just preached, and in the context of the Pentecost celebration and the Passover that they have just observed, this breaking of bread is in fact communion. It is a reference to the Lord's Supper. This was important for the body of Christ, the church. It was a public reminder that they were joined together by the Spirit of God through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. His body was given. His blood was poured out. So this breaking of bread, it was a tangible reminder to themselves and to one another and to anyone who saw them or heard them of who they were, whose they were, and why they were. I have said that a lot lately. It's because I need to be reminded of who I am in Christ. I need to be reminded daily of who I belong to. I belong to God. I am a child of God. I'm an ambassador of God. I'm a vessel of God's grace, love, and mercy to my family, to my church, to my community. I I need to be reminded of why I am. I'll tell you why I am. I am to the glory of God. Everything I say, everything I do should bring praise and honor and glory to Him. It doesn't matter if I'm in in the house or if I'm at work or if I'm out there in the community. Who I am, whose I am, and why I am doesn't change. It doesn't change. It shouldn't change. And so the breaking of bread is a reminder to me and a reminder to the body of what Jesus Christ has done and how he's changed us. How he's changed us, not just right here, right now, but how he's changed us forever. He has changed our eternal destiny when we repent of our sin and put our faith and trust in him. And so they were devoted, right? They were loyal to. They were steadfast with the gospel, with fellowship, with the breaking of bread. And he also says they were devoted to prayer. Devoted to prayer. In the context of this passage, what I believe it means is that they were praying for one another and they were praying with one another and they were praying out loud. That's what I believe. I believe that. This was not just some habitual prayer. This was meaningful prayer, and this was corporate prayer. This was a gift from God, and it was being embraced, and it was being exercised. And I'm going to tell you something, right? For prayer to truly be beneficial for you, 
for me and for others, it needs to be embraced and exercised. Yes, I believe in the prayer closet. I believe there are times when we need to bend our knees and we need to get alone with God and we need to pray. But I also believe we need to get together and we need to pray and we need to pray out loud. And we need to pray from our hearts. Not, not just because it's some habit, but because it is a gift from God. And, and we embrace it as a gift. How many times do we take for granted that God is always with us? That God is always before us. And all we have to do is cry out, Abba, Father. And he hears us. The Bible says he will answer our prayers. How many times do we take God's presence for granted? We do it every day, don't we? Every day. These new believers were devoted. It says they devoted themselves. They became loyal to. They were steadfast in the gospel, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And if, if you want to see the results, right? You want to see the, the results of devoting yourself to those four things? And remember what I said. When you're devoted, it's not just a decision, it's an action. In other words, it's going to cost you, right? You're going to have to sacrifice. I'll tell you what these believers did. They died to self and they were raised in Christ. They were alive now in Christ. And so they made a sacrifice. Well, watch what happens in their sacrifice. Watch what happens in their devotion. Verses 43 through 47. The Bible says, everyone was filled with awe. Think about this for a minute. Everyone was filled. In other words, they didn't fill themselves, did they? I'm going to ask again. Everyone was filled. They didn't fill themselves, did they? No. God saved them because they couldn't save themselves. Now that they've devoted themselves and they've made a public proclamation that Jesus Christ is Lord, they've been baptized by the Spirit, they've been baptized in the water, God ain't done, is He? God, God ain't done with just saving them. Now God is filling them. It says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. Why are we? Why am I? I am to glory and to praise God. And what does it say? Whew. It says they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number. Do you see what God still is doing? And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. If you want a definition of revival, look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. When we are devoted to God's Word, when we are devoted to fellowship, when we are devoted to remembering the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the breaking of bread, and when we are devoted to prayer, look out. Because God's going to do something. He's going to fill you with his spirit. That's revival. 
And he is going to save lost souls because you are a vessel of his grace and love and mercy. And there is no salvation apart from God's grace and his love and his mercy. Because his grace and his love and his mercy is found in Jesus Christ in no one and nothing else. Jesus Christ was being magnified. Amen? We just sang it. Christ be magnified. I love that song because the singer is saying Christ be magnified. Not just be magnified over there or out there. What does he say? He says Christ be magnified in me. Be magnified in me. In other words, when I speak, when I touch, when I do anything, I don't want anybody to see me. I want them to see you, Jesus. Because I can't change their hearts, but you can. Christ be magnified. That's what's happening. Let me tell you something. God is sovereign. We've talked about that. We just got through studying the book of Ruth, and we saw God's sovereignty all through the book of Ruth. But even in God's sovereignty, you know what he does? He still gives us free will. He gives us free will. We can either embrace his love, his grace, and his mercy found in Jesus, or we can reject it. We, we, we have a choice. We can either embrace God's love found in Jesus Christ or we can reject it. These believers in Acts chapter 2, they embraced God's love. They embraced His grace and His mercy found in Jesus Christ. The Bible says they devoted themselves to the gospel message, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And the results were what I like to call God-mazing. This is a God-mazing moment in the history of of the church. Why? Number one, they experienced wonders and signs. Not wonders and signs done by mere men. Wonders and signs of God done through mere men. They were filled with awe. That's what the Bible says. Filled with awe at who God was and what God was doing to them and through them and through the apostles. The Bible says they experienced unity. Do you see this? That's the power. That's the result of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says they were all together and they had everything in common. Now, does that mean they always agreed? Nope. You ain't been on a building and grounds team before when you had to figure out what color to paint the walls, have you? Because if there's seven members, there's probably seven different colors they want to paint that wall, right? And if you've got a church of 300, I, bet, I guarantee you, you're going to have 298, right, opinions of what color that wall should be. Does it mean mean that they agreed all the time? No. What it means is that they were agreeable. They came to a conclusion and they said, let's move forward together. They they, they were together. They had things in common. And I, I love that. They put the good of the body before the good of self. That's what it means to be together. That's what it means to have things in common right, is that I put the good of you before the good of me. And listen, I can't do that by myself. Tonight, they're probably going to cook something in the kitchen for food, and guess what? It probably ain't going to be what I would cook. Because you know what? I just go to Chick-fil-A and get a Chick-fil-A tray, right? I mean, I'm just being honest. Listen, I can't put you first in and of myself. I can't put the good of you First, in and of myself, you know what I need? I need help. And guess what? I got it. I got the Spirit of God in me who stirs me and convicts me and says, Jeff, this ain't about you. 
this is about the Father's kingdom. Step aside. Or get in line. Yeah, that's what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit of God leads me, guides me, directs me, reminds me that this ain't about Jeff. This is about the body of Christ. This is about the kingdom of God. This is about Christ being magnified, not Jeff. And so I love this. They were experiencing wonders and signs. They were experiencing unity. You know what else? They experienced what I like to call benevolence. That They experienced benevolence. What is that? Benevolence is helping someone else when they can't help themselves. Meeting the needs of others when others' needs aren't being met. So they had a deep desire, right? A deep desire to do good to others and for others. A desire to be charitable, right? The Bible says that they were selling their own property and whatever they were getting for it, they were giving it to somebody else who had a greater need than themselves. This is benevolence. They were meeting the needs of others no matter the cost and no matter the sacrifice. And again, you and I, we ain't going to do that in and of ourselves. What does the world say? You better take care of you because nobody else will. Isn't that what the world says? It's a dog-eat-dog world, right? Look out for yourself. That's what the world teaches. Look out for yourself. You know what Jesus says? Look out for others. Look out for your neighbor. You remember when they asked him, who's your neighbor? Right? They would have loved the answer, oh, the one who looks like you, the one who talks like you, the one who acts like you. But when they asked, who's your neighbor, who did Jesus point to? A Samaritan. Woo! Somebody didn't look like them, talk like them, and act like them. They met the needs of others. They put others first. They were benevolent. They were experiencing, right? They were experiencing unity. They were experiencing signs and wonders. They were experiencing benevolence. But not only that, the Bible says they experienced worship. Right? Every day, what did they do? They met in the temple courts. Do you know what they did in the temple courts? I'll tell you. I believe it was two things. I believe they sang praises to God, and I believe they read the Word of God out loud together. That's worship. They experienced worship. They met together in the temple courts. They met in their homes. They broke bread in their homes. They enjoyed relationship with God and with one another. And in that, they were bringing God praise, right? Bringing God praise in their times of worship, in their times of fellowship. And it says they even enjoyed the favor from all people. That's pretty powerful. Look, when you put your eyes on God, when you put all of your focus on God, and when you give God all of who you are and all of what you got, it's going to stand out. Because it's different. It's different than the world in which we live. And people are going to see it and they're going to notice it. And look what God did. God said they got favor. They got favor from the people. And last, oh, and certainly not least, The Bible says they experienced salvation and growth. Salvation and growth. And I want you to see this very clearly. It wasn't the apostle. It wasn't the pastor. It wasn't the praise team. It wasn't the Sunday school class that brought salvation and church growth. Who did it say added to the number daily? Those being saved. The Lord. 
the Lord. The Lord can get Brother Jeff out of here and keep on saving lost souls. He ain't going to have Brother Jeff. How dare me ever get big-headed and big-minded and think, oh, this thing won't go work the same without me. <laughs> Read the Bible. Now, thank God for the apostles. Thank God for the pastors. Thank God for the praise teams. Thank God for the Sunday school teachers. Thank God for the women's ministry and the men's ministry. But here's who we are and here's what we are. We are God's vessels, right? All we are are jars of clay. I think Paul says something about that. In Corinthians, we've already studied it, so I won't chase that rabbit. But I will tell you what's in the jar of clay. The Bible says there is a treasure in the jar of clay. Do you know what that treasure is? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the Spirit of God. And what happens to that jar of clay when it's tipped over? Whatever's inside is what's poured out. And I believe that's what happened here. Salvation and growth. The Lord added to their number daily. In other words, the Lord was building his church. And isn't that what Jesus told Peter? When Peter made that profession of faith, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God, what did Jesus say to him? And you are Peter. And upon this rock, what did Jesus promise? I will build my what? Church. Ooh. How cool is that? Huh? He didn't put that pressure on Peter. All Peter did was speak the truth. And Jesus said, you keep speaking the truth and I'll build the church. And nothing and no one will come against it. That's pretty awesome. I'm going to tell you what, for me, that's pretty refreshing. That's pretty refreshing. How dare me ever put that pressure on myself or anyone else ever put that pressure on me that it's my job to build the church because it's not. You know what my job is? My job is to be completely devoted to the word. My job is to be completely devoted to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. My job is to keep speaking the truth of Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection and let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. He saves lost souls. Let God do what he does. He builds the church. He adds to the number daily. And what, guess what I get to do? <laughs> Praise God and clap my hands. Thank you, God, for what you're doing right here, right now. The Bible says they heard the message and they responded to the message. They responded to the Holy Spirit's stirring. 3,000 were saved and then then they devoted themselves, and the Bible says God keeps on saving. See, they became obedient to the Lord. They devoted themselves. They became vessel of, uh, vessels of God's love, His grace, and His mercy to the community. And God just keeps on working. And isn't that what Jesus said about God? He said, my Father never stops what? Working. And Jesus said, and neither do I stop working. Jesus said, God is always working. I believe God's working right now. And we may or may not see a salvation experience this morning. But that don't mean God's not saving. The Spirit is still stirring and still moving. And just because we don't see it at Start Baptist Church don't mean it ain't happening at Crew Lake or at First Ravel or at North Monroe. Look, God can save when He wants, where He wants, and how He wants. Through whomever He wants. And we'll just keep praising God. So I want to I wanna, I wanna ask you a question. As we close this morning, I want to ask you a question. Do you really want the Lord to save lost souls in our community? 
Yes? Amen? Have you devoted yourself? See, I want to say yes. I want to say yes. I want to see Lord save souls in, in the community. But the question I really have to answer is, Jeff, will you devote yourself to the gospel? Will you be in the word and will the word be in you? Will you be loyal to it? Will you be steadfast in it? Will you devote yourself to fellowship? Will you be there when the doors are open? Will you be with the people that God has brought you together with? Will you break bread with the people? Will you publicly demonstrate that you have embraced Jesus Christ, His sacrificial death and His resurrection? And will you pray, Jeff? Oh, not just that one time when... When, when the pastor or the teacher said, hey, let's pray for lost souls, will you pray for lost souls loyally and steadfastly? See, I don't want you to miss this. The three important words that made all the difference here. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. That's what made the difference. They were totally surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, as Messiah. And because of that, the Spirit opened up their hearts and their minds, and they began to pour into the Word and allow the Word to pour into them. They began to join hands in fellowship. They began to publicly demonstrate the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And they prayed. And that's when God moved. And he didn't just move, he moved with power. He saved lost souls and the church was born. So from this point forward, from this point forward, we're going to see God's church being built, people brought together, kingdom advancing, and that's what it's all about. It's about God's kingdom advancing. So this morning I'm going to ask you again, do you want to see lost souls saved? And if you do, will you devote yourself? Will you devote yourself to what God's word says you need to be devoted to? The gospel, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer? I pray that you will. And I'll be honest with you. I believe we've been seeing some results of a body of Christ devoted. We've been seeing it. God's been saving lost souls I mean, we had to fix the baptistry because we baptized so many people and it broke. I hope it breaks again. I ain't going to lie to you. I hope it breaks again. I hope we wear it out. I, I can bring that trough back in here and we'll get, up, we'll get it back after it in that trough. I hope that trough ain't enough. I hope we have to put two of them up here. I hope I have to have help baptizing because my arms give out. Listen, that's not just some wishful thinking. I believe that can happen. I believe it can. I I believe it can happen right here in Start, Louisiana when we devote ourselves, when we surrender and we become loyal to and we remain steadfast with God.